Welcome in the studio with Michael Card is beginning now. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this is a new beginning for us, Michael. It is. We've been gone for nine long years. Yeah, and we're back. Rip Van Winkle sort of thing here. <laughs> well, no, I haven't been sleeping. No, I know you haven't no, been no. We'll talk about what you have been doing, but. Uh, nine years ago, we've been replaying the programs from from uh, that stopped production nine years ago. But now we're starting a new season of production. Yeah. So this is the first program in that new season. And I think it's exciting. We got lots of bits and pieces. We got uh, sections from Israel. We got uh, we're going to revisit some of our uh, favorite uh, interviewees from the past mm-hmm. and uh, and some of your music from the past that was recorded in the studio, kind mm-hmm. of a live performance recording. Yeah, and I'm amazed at how well that is, is held up over time. Well, you were pretty good in your day. Yeah, well, back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, you have been busy during these nine years. You've been writing books, for one thing, and traveling a lot and teaching yeah, a lot. Finished finished uh, overviewing all four Gospels and started... I so enjoyed that series. I really did. Yeah, well, it's it was it was a great feeling to get it finished. It was a good great feeling of a accomplishment yeah. um and then um in in this time we've started uh, taking groups to israel in the in the winter and that's been wonderful i've learned i'm learning learning so much um and and basically in in my life i'm i'm putting the pieces together of so many years of uh thinking about different themes mm-hmm. and uh and it really for me all has to do with the life of jesus so it's it's just uh um intent intensely focusing on every little detail Coming up, we're going to hear some teaching that uh, has not been heard on the program before because it comes from the Biblical Imagination Conference. Mm-hmm. I don't, were you doing the uh, BI conferences when we stopped production nine no, years ago? No, we that that's a relatively new thing too, uh, and um, and, and it's all basically from the Gospels. I think we're going to look at some uh, introduction to the synoptic voices, how each mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each voice is different. All right, that's coming up. Yeah. And uh, something else that didn't exist when we stopped production was Facebook. And yes. Now we have Facebook, which really makes this even more of a two-way uh-huh. thing here as we have this podcast and program. Yeah, and we were talking about someone trying to explain some of those uh, apps to us, and we thought, yeah, why in the world would well, I want I, to do that? I remember uh, Lance Mansfield yes. coming to the studio at Mole Inn yep. and telling us about this new thing called Twitter. Yeah. And we thought, why in the world we why want would, to tell people where we are? Right. You know? and of course, back then we had life. Now we just sit and look at Twitter all day. So. <laughs> well, we have a Facebook. Facebook page, and it is facebook.com slash michaelcardmusic. And I really do encourage our listeners to go there and to uh, interact with other listeners. Yes. Who knows, uh, Michael and I may show up sometimes on the Facebook page, Oh, absolutely. Too. I go there all the time and see the comments. All right. So facebook.com slash michaelcardmusic, or the website, as always, has been michaelcard.com. Or you can email us if you want, old-fashioned email. Think of that. Mm-hmm. In the studio at michaelcard.com. That's a, that's a great way to get in touch with us as well. Well, coming up on the program today, as I mentioned, we're going to hear your teaching uh, from the Biblical Imagination Conference. And then the second half of the program, kind of a rededication of what we're doing. Yeah, I'm so glad we're doing this. Uh, if we're going to relaunch, uh, I think at the same time, we need to rededicate uh, ourselves and, you know, the content and uh, uh, everything that has to do with this program. Because we want it under the lordship of, of, of Jesus. We, we want this program to wash feet and to and to feed and to encourage the brothers and the sisters. And I, I can think of no one better to help us sort of ground this in prayer than Bob Bakke. Right. So Bob will join us later on to yeah, pray with us to here pray with us, in the yeah. studio. Well, remember, uh, we always recorded the music in the studio, live performance. We wouldn't allow you to bring a CD to the studio. Uh-huh. And we're going to rely on some of those earlier musical studio performances, including as we begin now with Things We Leave Behind. Remember that day Scott Brazier was at the piano with yes, you. and uh, Scott, an uh, um, uh, unbelievably gifted musician, pian- pianist, but also a wonderful songwriter, wonderful composer, wonderful arranger, and uh, and I had forgotten until we we just reviewed these uh, recordings a few minutes ago. I'd forgotten how much fun it was to yeah. just the two of us to play together. Like well, this. let's listen. Done it in years. Let's listen now. Things we leave behind. Everybody who comes to Jesus leaves something behind. Simon, so foolish and wise, proudly he's tending his nets. Then Jesus calls, and the boats drift away, and all that he owns he forgets. But more than the nets he abandoned that day, he found that his pride was soon drifting away, and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find. From the things that 
Gospel of Mark. Uh, we believe, um, most people believe the Gospel of Mark. It's really the Gospel of Peter. Uh, Eusebius tells us that, uh, er, uh, early church historian tells us that the church, they come to, to Mark, who is a disciple of Peter. Peter refers to Mark as my son in 1 Peter, so they're close, right? So the, the, uh, the, the early uh, people in the early church, they come to Mark and they say, please write down Peter's account of the Gospel. And so if you read the Gospel of Mark from that perspective, looking for Peter, that's one of the uniquenesses of Mark. Uh, the, the disciples are referred to as Peter and those with him. Um, Peter leaves every positive thing about his life and ministry with Jesus is left out. Uh, we read in Matthew that Jesus walks on the water and he and Peter have this sort of odd exchange you ask me to come to you on the water. It's this odd request that Peter makes, and Peter walks on the water. Look for that story in, in Mark. Jesus walks on the water, but the, Peter doesn't. That gets left out in Mark. Uh, and I think it's Peter's humility. It, later in life, he's not going uh, to talk about himself. He's not going to uh, show himself in a positive light. So um, there, there's, a, there's a lot about Peter. There's Peter, Peter's emphasis uh, and when you read this in his uh, first letter, he's very interested in the fact that you need to believe before you see. See, in First Peter, he says, though you have not seen him, you believe him and are filled with this inexpressible joy, right? All through the Gospel of Mark, it's all about, I've got I've to believe before I see. Bartimaeus is, something, is a person that Mark is very interested in, this blind man, right, who believes before he sees. He's the only person in the Gospel of Mark who actually calls Jesus Jesus. The only person who addresses him by his personal name. So uh, that's, that's one of the emphasis uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark. And you, you all know this. It's a very quick-moving gospel. His favorite word is immediately. It happens 17 times in the first chapter. It's ridiculous. And uh, the, 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 uh, the translators, just so it doesn't become redundant, They'll translate it different ways. NIV, they run out of me. How many different ways can you say immediately? But you read NIV and it's, it's there. Um, in Mark, uh, interestingly to me anyway, uh, the disciples are afraid of Jesus. 
uh, we, we speak, uh, my mentor who wrote a, a, a commentary on the Gospel of Mark, he talked about the disturbing presence of Jesus. And one of the things that really interests me in each one of the Gospels is the unique perspective that each one has on Jesus. And in Mark, people are afraid of him. Uh, think about the story of, uh, of the, uh, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Mark will say there was a, a great wind, mega animu, great wind. And then there was a great calm. And after the calm, there's a megaphobu, a great fear. The fear, as Mark portrays that story, is they're not afraid of the storm. They're afraid of Jesus. You're in, you're in a boat with a guy that talks to the weather. And it obeys. And so when Mark portrays that story, the disciples are afraid. See, who is this man? They're afraid of Jesus. And that storm, remember, blows the boat over to where the Gadarenes are. And remember what they, when, when they see Jesus uh, uh, cast the demons out of the Gadarene demoniac, what do those people say? Leave. Yeah, they're afraid. See, Jesus has this disturbing presence in Mark, which I think is interesting. I don't know if that's not a natural part of my the way I think about him. I don't think of people being afraid of him. But there were some people that were clearly disturbed. He was a, a disturbing uh, presence. So, uh, and one more thing about Mark. Uh, I refer to it as the emotional life of Jesus. And what I did, I, I just counted adjectives that described Jesus' emotions. They're like four in John. You know, four or five in, in Luke and, and Matthew. Not, not many at all. Matthew has, I think, 17. And, and sometimes, often, Mark will use two adjectives. He was angry and upset. You know, there, he, he piles up the adjectives. So Jesus is uh, very much more emotional. You read him in John, he's fairly unemotional. I mean, he gets mad when he tears the temple up, obviously. But otherwise, he's fairly... Mark's not interested in that. That's the, that, that's the way I say it. Matthew's very interested in the, in the emotionality of Jesus. And he, he, uh, he, he could get angry, and he could become, uh, um, he could become sad, and, and uh, having fully experienced the incarnation, right? He, he experienced everything that, that we experienced. So um, that's just a, a brief sort of introduction. There, there's Mark. Mark, the life situation of Mark, we believe, and, and a lot of times we're, we're putting pieces of a puzzle together. Um, we don't really even know that Mark wrote Mark. It's not signed, right? We have very good, very reliable tradition that Mark comes from. Now, now Paul's letters, they're signed. I, Paul, a slave of Christ. Good, I'll take a bullet for that, right? But the Gospels aren't signed. But we have very good tradition that tells us Gospel of Mark, Mark okay, written for the church in Rome uh, in, in response to the fire that happened in 63. Um, the Christian, Christian persecution breaks out for the first time, and Mark writes that gospel. And if, if you have that in mind when you read the gospel of Mark, it sort of comes alive too. He, he wants his readers to know they can't experience any kind of suffering that Jesus hasn't experienced. And one of the things we'll do, this idea of engaging with our imagination, I'll talk about that next. Um, one of the things we do is we look for what's unique. So you find a story in Mark that's unique, and you say, well, what? Why, why does Mark, for example, the, in, in the, the story of uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Mark, you read that story in Mark, it's like three verses long. Mark is not interested in that story. You read in Matthew and there's a threefold temptation and Satan's doing his thing and he takes him to the high part of the temple and all that. None of that's in Mark. None of it. Mark's not interested in that story. But Mark says one thing about Jesus in the wilderness that no one else says. He says when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was with the wild beasts. Now, and, and we stop and we go, okay, why would, he, why would he say that? Again, he's writing to Christians who are per suffering persecution and who are often being thrown to the wild beasts. He wants you to know you're not going to experience anything that Jesus hasn't experienced. Only Mark... Only Mark tells us that at one point, Mary and the brothers decided that Jesus was out of his mind. It's one of my favorite passages in Mark. You know, I think it's chapter 3. Do you know this passage? Jesus isn't eating. 
That's another thing Mark is interested in. From, the very, from chapter 1, Jesus is covered up with people. And I don't like this image of Jesus. But Peter, through Mark, tells this story that everywhere they went, they were just covered up with people. And twice, in chapter 3 and chapter 6, twice he says, so many people were coming and going that didn't even have a chance to eat. They're not eating anymore. Mary finds out about that, and what does she say? She says, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. Now, why would Mark be interested in that story? What are Mark's readers hearing? You must be out of your mind. A carpenter from Nazareth is God? You are out of your mind. And they read Mark and they go, well, Jesus experienced that too. His parents thought he was out of his mind. So there's this idea of persecution. There's always the, the persecution is always there. You see this in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is really two letters. Uh, it's, it's a letter that stops and then starts again. The first, uh, the first section of 1 Peter um, uh, suffering is always a distant prospect. You may have to suffer at various times. But then, and then there's a nice little benediction, and the letter comes to an end. Uh, at 4.12, he starts up again. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're experiencing. Peter has heard about the fire in Rome. So uh, that's how we put Peter, first, first Peter together with the Gospel of Mark, and we see this is a letter to a persecuted community. It, hmm? It's a hastily written postscript. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we think. Uh, and a very clear break in there. Just We'll see John does the same thing. There's a, John ends and then it starts up again. Very interesting, okay? So that, in a nutshell, that's the voice of Mark. Very uh, rushed, very um, not interested in the nativity, right? No angels, no shepherds, not interested in that. Doesn't have time to tell you that, right? Not interested in that. Um, so what about Matthew? A lot of us, have, we did Matthew together. Matthew is the gospel that I have the most difficulty hearing a predictable voice because I frankly don't think Matthew wrote Matthew, uh, but we won't get into that. Uh, I, think, I think a scribe, I think most of the content of Matthew is from Matthew, don't get me wrong, uh, because we have in Eusebius that, that Matthew collected the sayings of Jesus, that a, a tax collector collecting the sayings of Jesus. That makes perfect sense to me, right? And when I look in, the, in Matthew, what do I have? I have uh, three blocks of the sayings of Jesus. I mean, just look at your red letter Bible and you'll see it, right? Um, I think that's the body of, of Matthew. But I think Matthew was put together by a person who's a scribe, a Christian scribe. Because the scribes in Matthew are good guys. Matthew will say, the scribe who brings good things out of the good things stored up in his heart. And a lot of translators, they won't translate that word scribe, grammatus. They translate it teacher or something like that because they think it can't be a scribe because scribes are bad guys. Well, we think, I think scribes in Matthew are good guys. Just like we'll see in a minute that Pharisees in Luke are, in Luke are good guys. We'll talk about that in a minute. Matthew is written to a community of, of Jewish believers in, in a time when the, the Jewish Christians are being kicked out of the synagogue. And that's why I say the Gospel of Matthew is a gospel about identity. Matthew is telling his, his, his uh, readers who they are. Because think of this, you're, you're, you're a, a Jewish Christian uh, in the synagogue community right around 70, but just before or after 70 AD, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, and... Um, all of a sudden, you're being excluded from the, from the synagogue. If you're a Jewish person, I mean, today, the, the son of the Orthodox rabbi in Nashville, Mendel Posner, became a Christian years ago. And you know that phrase, you're dead to me? That's from Judaism. That's what happens when your son or daughter converts to Christianity. You're dead to me, okay? Well, that's the, think of that as the readers of the Gospel of Matthew. They are Christians who are being excluded from the synagogue. And so you read Matthew, and he's constantly telling these people, who they are. So why do you think the kingdom is the major, the major theme in Matthew? Do you think it's just because he, he likes the kingdom or something? No, he's telling these people, no, you're not disenfranchised. You're part of a kingdom of which Jesus is the king. That's good news if I'm a, uh, a Jewish person who's been kicked out of Jewish life, not just out of the building, but out of Jewish life. So uh, I, I think that's basically what's happening in the Gospel of Matthew. But 
again, for me, and again, this is just my inability to, to, to uh, there's so many pieces that st- I still need to put together in Matthew, uh, but I don't hear that identifiable voice, that predictable vocabulary that you, that you can tend to hear in Mark and Luke and John. Um, but that's, if there's, if there's anything wrong with the way it, I'm perceiving it, it's something that's wrong with me. It's not anything that's wrong with the book, so... Please be clear on that. Okay, Luke, quickly, let me talk about Luke. Luke, I think, may be my favorite gospel. I, I love the gospel of Luke. Um, so who is Luke? He is a companion of Paul. Two of the writers of the gospels were companions of Paul. Two of the writers of the gospels are the sons of women who follow Jesus. I think that's really cool. See, we got Mark and Luke. In fact, Paul mentions them in Philemon in the same verse, right? So there's, we see there's a lot of Pauline influence in Mark and Luke, especially in Luke. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a second. But then we've got John, whose mother is Salome, who's the sister of Mary, right? And we got Mark, who the, the church kind of started in Mark's house. We didn't talk about that, but, you know, uh, pretty cool, you know, uh, tell me about Jesus. Well, you know, he used to hang out at my house. You know, my mom. My mom used to, you know. Okay, so Luke. Uh, so Luke, Luke's a follower of Paul. We know that. Luke, uh, Paul is a Pharisee. And like I said, I said before in the Gospel of Luke, so interesting to see this. The Pharisees aren't bad guys. Jesus has meal fellowship with the Pharisees three times in Luke. Meal one and meal three are very congenial. The first one is in seven with uh, Simon the Pharisee. You know that story, right? Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, Master. See, nobody's throwing anything. Nobody's calling anybody a brood of vipers. That's meal two. Meal two doesn't go so well. Okay? But meals one and meal three. Meal three, Jesus is observing the Pharisees and noting where they sit. And, you know, uh, because the truth is, the leadership of the early church was largely Pharisaic. The Pharisees uh, weren't all bad guys. They weren't all bad guys. So we know that Luke was a, a follower of Paul. We know that Luke was a doctor. And so we have this wonderful, all of you that are physicians here, and I know we got a couple at least, there's this wonderful, predictable language. Uh, 700 words in the Gospel of Luke that don't appear anyplace else in the New Testament. This is an educated man. And he uses, it's like my dad, my dad was a doctor, Luke uses medical words when he doesn't need medical words. Um, my earliest memory of my dad, my dad was a cardiologist. He was hanging a picture in our home, and he was trying to nail, uh, put a nail in the wall. And he was using his reflex hammer, the rubber hammer that you hit you on the knee with. You know why? Because that's the only hammer my dad had. And that's, that's how doctors are, right? They're like this. But guess what? You, don't you want your doctor to be like this? Right? When I go to the doctor and you know, I've got a problem with some particular part of my body, I want that doctor's whole life right, to be about my gallbladder. I'm hoping you spent your whole life on my gallbladder, right? So, and Luke's like that. Luke uses medical words when he doesn't need medical words because that's his language. For example, uh, I have carefully autopsied. Everything from the beginning. That's what he says. He uses the word autopsy. When Zechariah asked for a tablet, he was going to say his name's John. He asked for a prescription tablet. Okay? It's, it's the technical term for a medical prescription tablet. And there's a, a, a lot of work was done years ago on this, on the medical language in Luke, but very interested in, in the healings of Jesus. Only Luke tells us about the man with dropsy. Okay, you know about dropsy? I had to look it up. I'm not interested in dropsy. Luke is very interested in dropsy, right? And it's the man's right hand. And it was his ear, lo- the, the, the guy who gets his ear chopped off in, in the garden. You know, it's his ear lobe, Luke says. Not his ear. His little ear, says Luke. Because that's the kind of thing he's interested in. See, that's the stuff he likes. Uh, and because Luke is a doctor... Uh, we know that most doctors in the first century, most professional people in general in the first century, are slaves. Okay, if you're a, if you're a teacher, a high level teacher, you're probably a slave. If you're a doctor, you're probably a slave. At one point, there were so many slaves that were becoming doctor doctors 
the emperor, I forget which one it was, uh, Domitian, Domitian closed the medical schools to slaves. He said, okay, no more slaves can become doctors. We got too many of them, okay? So I think there's a very good possibility that Luke was a slave. Uh, Luke is a slave name. Uh, slaves were named by t- two, two different ways in the first century. You would name a slave by what you hoped they would be like. So in the book of Philemon, we meet Onesimus. You know what Onesimus means? Useful. That's a slave name, see? I'm going to buy you in the slave market. And I'm going to rename you. Well, I'm going to name you. I hope you're going to be useful. So your name's Onesimus. She'd like that. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, he's already, so he's already claimed. You've already got him as a slave. You know what the most, the most popular slave name in the first century was? Philo Curios. Master lover. The other way you would name a slave is to give them a, a, a nickname, a uh, 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 it's called a hypochorism, a hypochoratic name. That's just a big word for nickname. See, why use a little word that everyone can understand when you can use a big word that nobody understands, right? Hypochorism. If I were a slave owner, God forbid, in the first century, my name's Michael. I would name my slave Mike. So listen to it. Luke. It's short for Lucian. Paul has lots of companions that are slaves, and when you develop an ear for this, Demas. That's a shortened form of the name Demetrius. It's a slave name. So Luke, Luke I think, was a slave. Uh, Paul has a relative named Lucian. He refers to, them, to him twice. This makes the scholars' heads explode, but I'm convinced that Paul's, Paul's uh, relative Lucian purchases Luke, gives him to Paul as a doctor to care for him because Paul has this thorn in the flesh, right? Whatever it is, we don't know what it was. And, uh, and Paul tells us, only Luke is with me. All the way to the end, there's this faithful servant. He's taking care of, uh, of Paul. And if, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, w- looking for this, it's amazing. 16 of the 35 parables are slave parables. And the slaves are always the good guys. You know who the bad guys are? The hired hands. They're the ones that lead the sheep, right? They're just doing it for the money. The slaves are the good guys. Michael Card teaching at a recent Biblical Imagination conference. And for more about these conferences, find them online at michaelcard.com, michaelcard.com. And join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash michaelcardmusic. Coming up, Dr. Bob Bakke will join us and pray for the relaunch of this program in the studio with Michael Card. Welcome back in the studio Coming up, Michael's going to sing That's What Faith Must Be. In a moment, we'll talk with Dr. Bob Bakke, who will lead us in prayer on the dedication restart of this program. Here's Michael, That's What Faith Must Be. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to trust in a way that I cannot see. That's what faith must be. Fell from his fingertips He decided he wanted some fellowship But the man and the woman would not submit So he made a better way When the moment was right He sent his own son And he opened the way So that everyone could have hope and believe That when time was done And that Christ's in me That with faith I see what is unseen To hear with my heart To see with my soul To be guided by a hand I cannot hold To trust in a way That I cannot see That's what faith must be That's what faith must be 
Michael Card, that's what faith must be. Well, I haven't heard that in nine years. And I, I tapped on the window and said, Joe, who's that playing the piano? And that was Scott Brazier. It was recorded live in the studio yeah. with Scott that day he was with us. Yeah, it pretty, sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You sound the same. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and as we've been saying, uh, it has been nine years since we've been together, yeah. although we've stayed in touch all these years. Yeah. But we were on the air for about 10 years together, yeah. I think it was. 12 years. 12 years, was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I lost yeah. track. Then. Yeah. Well, so this is kind of a relaunch uh-huh. for us here today, isn't it? Remember all those prayer times that we had in the studio back? Oh yeah, then? we had the empty hands guys in. Yes, yes. We had uh, yeah a lot of end of Bob. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people have gone on to be with the Lord. Bob Smith and mm-hmm. Denny Denson mm-hmm. and Bill Lane and all those people. We yeah. always prayed together. I remember the big circle of men in the studio a couple yep. of times where we just went around the room and prayed together. Yeah. It was a very and special time. Billy the the uh, Mohican Indian yes. beating his drum uh-huh. and pl- and praying to his drum. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And in all of those meetings, can one of the person that sort of tied us together in terms of prayer was Bob Bakke. Right. Well, guess what? Yeah. Bob is on the phone with us right now. As you know, Bob Bakke, welcome. Well, thanks, guys. It's yeah. a, what a joy to yeah. be with yeah. you on this relaunch. Well, do thank- you remember, Bob, being in Franklin, Tennessee for those prayer times many times? I do. Yeah. I mean, it was fabulous. I, yeah. um, it was just a joy to, to not only mix mix in with new people I've never had never met before, but with with wonderful music and and what a spirit it was it was a great joy yeah well you've been involved in uh on a a, a much grander scale of uh, a, a prayer movement i want i want to hear about that I, I was a young pastor out of the suburbs of, of greater metropolitan new york uh, years ago back in the late 80s and uh just happened to come uh, to crash into a prayer meeting one night in the middle of new york in a place called flushing queens where there were uh, 900 people from everywhere around uh, the city. And we prayed for three hours that night. There was a guy by the name of David Bryant uh, who was doing a concert of prayer. And I, had ne- I was a pastor. I'd been in, in two churches. I, I had uh, two successful pastorates. I had never prayed for three hours about anything before. Mm-hmm. And we sang and we worshiped and we prayed and we sang and we worshiped. We prayed by ourselves. We prayed in small groups and... It just blew me away, and it, cha- it changed my life. Mm. And I became a, I became devoted to this whole notion of prayer, specifically united prayer, not because I'm, I'm given to it naturally, but, but just out of conviction. I, ju- I just see it in the scriptures. I see it, uh, as, it as it plays itself out among, uh, among believers worldwide. And I come to it as a matter of conviction. It's, it's just what God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. So it changed the, the trajectory of my life, and I ended up in Minneapolis um, to, to do just this, um, called by a guy by the name of Paul Cedar, who's a U.S. leader in, in the evangelical movement, and he said, I want somebody to come uh, with my denomination and help lead it. So that launched me, and uh, all these years later, I, this is what I've been doing. And last Friday night, we had... We had 55,000 mm. um, mostly millennials in U.S. Bank Stadium. That's where the Super Bowl. 55,000. 55,000. And we sang, we worshiped, we, we had, had the largest pillow fight. 70, <laughs> uh, we had 55,000 in a pillow fight for, for <laughs> 75 seconds. Uh, Guinness, wow. A Guinness representative was on. on oh, that's cool. On okay, but that's not the most important thing that happened that night. No, what, what happened, six, Bob? 6,700 6, kids principally kids, came to Christ. Wow. And, and that was a result of eight years of, of, growing prayer, of a growing prayer movement, where it started out as a, maybe 1,000, grew to 11,000 11, in a hockey stadium. And then we said, we can, we can believe God for great things. And when, then, then we filled U.S. Bank Stadium. These are the purposes of God. This is how it works. And I wish more would be involved. Yeah, well, you're doing a great, great thing there, Bob. You're also a pastor of Hillside Church there in Minneapolis, but you're on the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and uh-huh. on the most recent National Day of Prayer, you and I were together in Washington, D.C. You were the executive producer. That's and, right. And uh, asked me to host the uh, radio portion of the program. Very, very moving time right uh, in the Capitol building in, in uh, D.C. It was fabulous. Yeah. Uh, hundreds of radio stations. We had three uh, television networks that carried it, uh, both nationally and internationally. Uh, over 300,000 watched on and prayed along with us on Facebook Live. So, praise mm-hmm. God. Very special evening. Mm-hmm. Bob, uh, we're still just as dedicated to prayer here as we were back in the day when we first started recording this program many years ago. And we wanted you to come on today 
Uh, we're going to end in a few moments with a prayer of dedication, but just talk more about the, the ministry of prayer and your vision for what prayer can accomplish in our nation. When, when you're talking about the subject of prayer, you're talking about really three, um, three different elements. You're talking about uh, prayer itself, where it, it's really our place of uh, the, the principal means by which we remain in Christ as, as, as Jesus talked to his disciples at the end of his life, uh, pr- just prior the, to the uh, crucifixion. He commanded them to remain in him and that he would remain in them. And if, if that were to happen, they would bear much fruit, showing themselves to be, be his disciples. And the principal means by which we do that um, is prayer. And uh, there, is, there is a remarkable thing that happens when we close our eyes and, and uh, beseech, beseech Christ. And the Holy Spirit brings us into that unity with Christ because, because that's really the end of all things. We, our union with Christ. It's not so much the words we say to him. It's not so much uh, the feelings we have about him. It's that, it's that union with him. That is the end of all things. That's, that's the goal for which he has uh, died. Uh, and then, but then there's united prayer. That's, that when, we're, when we get together with other people and the, and the body of Christ then has, realizes the extraordinary gifts and power that it has in its union. Uh, Jesus wants the body of Christ to be one, and he wants, to, wants it to be in agreement with one another. And if two or three come together in his name, he's there among, amongst them. Yeah, it's the last thing he asked for in the garden, that we be one. That's right. Yeah. And, and that unity is most profoundly seen uh, in our prayers together. Hmm. And whatever we bind on earth, right, uh, will be bound in heaven and loosed on earth and loosed in heaven. So there's extraordinary power in, in united prayer. But then there's, then there's a thing called extraordinary prayer, uh, and this is where Jonathan Edwards and others spoke about extraordinary prayer. When we cry out to God in the the great difficulties of our day, or, or um, in our communities, in our families, and we do so unitedly. He wants the church to do that, and that's that prayer that preceded Pentecost, for example, the 10 days of, of 24-7 prayer that went on and on and on until God poured out His Spirit. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot here, and uh, we, only, we only sip from this cup when we should be drinking deeply from it. Okay, well, those are um, those are up on the top shelf. Those ideas, um, and 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 I, I confess that I mean I'm a Bible study freak. I can buy. I mean, my my res- I resonate with Bible study. Prayer has always been the hardest part of, of my spiritual uh, walk. What what do you say to to you know f- fundamentally to people like me? Where do I start? Yeah, where do you, where do you start? Well, yeah. it's sort of the Nike thing. You know, you just do you it. Just do it. <laughs> right. Uh, the, there's uh, the only way to learn prayer is by doing prayer. However, yeah. uh, in in my case, and I'm still learning, I'm still growing. I, again, it's it, it's not my green thumb. Yeah. Uh, but I've made it. I've become a disciplined person at it. Uh-huh. And one of the reasons, one of the ways to do it is just to get along get alongside of people who really do know how to pray. Uh-huh. And really and and model that, say, okay, that's how I'm supposed to say it. This is, this is when I'm supposed to cry out. This is, so people who really, it's their green thing, it's their spiritual gift. Yes. You get alongside of those people. Yeah. And then, and, and then it's, it's a matter of your calendar, it's your clock. Uh, get up when the, when the alarm rings. Get up and, and go before the Lord. Mm. Usually it's, it's like exercise in, in that regard, right? We, we all want to work out. Mm-hmm. But when the alarm goes off, we don't want to go out in the dark to, to run or to do something. Well, mm-hmm. you just got to do it. Discipline. The Lord rewards it. One of my favorite Bonhoeffer stories, uh, I, I one, heard, one, one point heard Eberhard Betka, who was his confessor in their underground seminary. And Bonhoeffer taught a class in the underground seminary. Hitler had closed all the seminaries. And he uh, Bonhoeffer taught a class on prayer. And he walks in the very first day of class and there's you know these uh, these young seminarians there, and he said, "Okay, uh, who here knows how to pray? Let me s- see a show of hands." And of course, nobody uh, held up their hands. And Bonhoeffer said, "Okay, then we're ready to start." <laughs> and that 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 has always given me great comfort. That gives me great comfort. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, the reformers, um, 
I need into, even into what I'm going to be working on this summer. The church has given me a sabbatical to, to, to research and to write on the Second Great Awakening. Wonderful. Mm. Which um, shook, changed the, the course of world history. And, wow. and of course, it, it was focused up in, uh, just north of you, Michael, up yeah. in, the, up in uh, Kentucky. Yes. Cane Ridge revivals, etc. Well, that was, that was the result of three years, of, uh, and three and four and five years of covenanted prayer where churches were meeting together and they were covenanting together between uh, these small little churches. They would come together on uh, once a year at what was called the sacraments and have communion together and they would pray together. And this, would, this grew and grew and grew. So when the, when the revival hit uh, in Kentucky in 1801, just so powerfully like an atomic explosion and, and eventually changed the course of, of world history. Wow. Yeah, I know uh, there, there are people that believe that the, the Civil War was really a result of that because people's consciences were, you know, right. made sensitive about mm-hmm. slavery. And mm-hmm. whenever you hear letters from those periods of times, they're always quoting Scripture and praying for each other. And yet, is that all a result of that uh, Second Great Awakening? It, it is. Yeah. Uh, the, at, at Cane Ridge, when the Holy Spirit fell, did so, tell the stories would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. Stand on end. And you're going to be telling that in the book? Uh uh, either a book or a film. Uh, wow. My goal is a film. Wow. Uh, well, then like, you will be back with us to talk about it. Promise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, I, but I think one of the most important uh, deals that came out of that was the music. So, mm. Michael, I think um, mm. the music is a vitally important deal within our prayers, because I think when we pray together on uh, on Sunday mornings at a, as a church, we do so uh, with in united prayer, put to music. Mm. These are our prayers. And it's one of the most powerful ways that we pray together in union. There's the connection. Bob, uh, thank you for rejoining us here as we restart uh, this program with Michael. And we would be honored if you would lead us in prayer. Let's make this a prayer of dedication for this ministry and Michael's ministry, if you don't mind. All right. Father in heaven, we come before you. And, and with the remarkable technologies and resources that we have at our, at our disposal today, uh, not only uh, FM radio, but HD radio and podcasts, so many things, we have the extraordinary ability to touch so many lives. And I thank you for Michael Card, and I thank you for this, this program being relaunched. And, and I pray your blessing upon it, O oh Lord, that, that your face might shine upon it, be gracious to it, and grant to it shalom, grant to it well-being, grant to it a, an extraordinary reach, um, both domestically and internationally. So, Father, we, we dedicate this time to you. We, we dedicate this program to you. We dedicate the entire, all the resources that, it, that are brought to bear with regard to it. And we ask you, O oh God, to, to plant seeds of hope and, and open the eyes of the blind, the spiritually blind, and, and open the ears of the spiritually deaf, that their hearts might, of stone might be, become hearts of flesh, and they might seek, seek you and see you and behold you for the first time in ways that they have, had never known before. So, Lord, on this day of rededication, we offer ourselves to you, and Michael offers himself to you, and Wayne, and Joe in the production, and we pray, Father, that your, your, your glory will be known, that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the mm-hmm. Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Dr. Bob Bakke. You have to promise to come back and tell us more of that research you're doing, Bob. Uh, I promise I will. All right. We will look forward to that. Uh, Michael, as we end here, this segment, uh, you've written a number of very tender songs. None more tender than this one, though, Tears of the World. And uh, this was recorded in the studio when Scott Brazier was with us at the keyboard that day. So can we listen to that now? Sure. And, And this song really is a prayer. It's asking God to tender my heart. So I'll weep the tears of the world because so often we were insensitive to other people's suffering. So I, I want to thank you too, Bob, for uh, for coming along and, and, and helping us out with uh, rededicating the program. Well, this is a real joy. Thanks. Thanks, good brother. In any split second of a moment of time In the blink that is one single day The sum of the sorrow That wraps round the world 
could catch every soul up and sweep them away. As vast as the ocean, as deep as the sea, swept up in one toxic tide. By warm salty waves, the world weeps its woe. So how could it be that my own eyes are dry? So open my eyes and open my heart and grant me the gift of your grieving and awaken in me the compassion to weep just one of the tears of the world. When God walked among us in the fullness of time, He wept tears as old as the world. Acquainted with sorrow, He took up the cup and drank every drop of the poison that heals. So open my eyes and open my heart and grant me the gift of your grieving and awaken in me the compassion to weep, just one of the tears of the world. So comes the call of this sorrowful man to set our small sadness aside. To come now and follow, no matter the cost. To follow him boldly and wait in the tide. So open my eyes and open my heart and grant me the gift of your grieving and awaken in me the compassion to weep, just one of the tears of the world, just one. The tears of the world. Oh, that is just beautiful. Tears of the world, Michael Card, and I think we have time for one more song. Okay. Okay, let me grab another guitar here, make sure we're in tune. Well, thanks, Wayne, for sitting through all this. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> this is wonderful. We'll have to do this more often on the program. Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy when it's songs we know, isn't it, Scott? Yeah. Well, this is one that uh, comes from the book of Leviticus. Um, a lot of people don't know their stuff like this in Leviticus. So let's try. Ready? Provided for a time for the slaves to be set free, for the debts to all be cancelled, so his chosen ones could see. His deep desire was for forgiveness, he longed to see their liberty, and his yearning was embodied in the year of Jubilee.
appointed time, his deep desire became a man, the heart of all true jubilation, and with joy we understand. In his voice we hear a trumpet sound that tells us we are free. He is the incarnation of the year of jubilee. Despair to look into your judge's face and see a savior there. Jubilee, Jubilee, Jesus is the Jubilee. Debt's forgiven, slaves set free. Jesus is our Jubilee. fun and joyful song. Michael Card in the studio with Jubilee. We heard quite a bit of Michael's music today. Uh, Tears of the World, That's What Faith Must Be, Things We Leave Behind. Uh, great music here from Michael. And if you have a song you would like Michael to sing in the studio, we'll do our best to comply with that. Uh, the best way to reach us with that request is with an email address, and that is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And I'll repeat that, in the studio at michaelcard.com. You can also reach us on Facebook. And when you reach us, by the way, make sure you tell us your story, how the Lord is moving in your life and what the circumstances are as you listen to the program and where you listen to the program. We always like those details. So in the studio at michaelcard.com or facebook.com slash michaelcardmusic. I'm Wayne Shepherd for our friend and producer, Joe Carlson. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Make sure you subscribe to in the studio at itunes.com. Thanks. We'll see you next week here in the studio.